this has got to be somebody's little girl. What you spend years building, someone may try to destroy overnight. Build anyway. Nice, innocent little boy. If you're kind, people may accuse you of being selfish and having ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. And here is... And I couldn't decide if this was Wilton or Gerald. But uh, it would fit either one of them. You, you see, in the final analysis, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Live in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know God because they know you. Here's something to think about. Every 60 seconds you spend upset is a minute of happiness You'll never get that. That's, you know, what they say. We had a few left. You need one. If it don't bother you, it won't bother me. Huh? You may have you may have to share some. You okay. Okay. I'd like to, uh, well, first I have a brief announcement. I don't want this to sound harsh. And I appreciate all the questions about my wife. She's been suffering with altitude sickness. I told her she would have to get on a lower level. The first night she slept on the floor. The second <laughs> night, last night she slept on the ground. It didn't help a bit. So she is going home because she doesn't want to suffer with this all week. And I, I appreciate all the questions, but I want to tell everybody she is leaving, so you won't have to ask as many questions. But if you want to ask about her, that's fine. She may be gone now. It's about what I figured. Okay, I would like to turn over to Psalm chapter 1. As you know, we are calling this sub, our class The Legal Aspects of Salvation. And I'm going to read this chapter and then some verses from another chapter to kind of hopefully set the tone. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And now we would like to turn over and read from Psalm 119, picking up at verse 97. We're going to read down through verse 104. Oh, how love I thy law, it is my meditation all the day. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. What we intend to do this morning, we are going to go through the handout briefly and just kind of get into a explanation of what our class is going to be about. And I've also, I'm, I'm using PowerPoint like this, you know, when I point up there. Right. In our introduction, we are saying what, what we really want to do, we want to establish the structure in which this subject will be addressed. God's loving and merciful offer of salvation, it requires us to acknowledge God's divine prerogative to dictate the terms and conditions of such an offer. And these terms and conditions must be interpreted in a manner that is consistent with divine reasoning as we find it revealed in the Holy Scriptures. I want to make this point again. I alluded to this the other night. But in, re in recognizing divinely instituted legal principles and concepts, that are clearly associated with the, play, with the plan of salvation, this recognition in no way diminishes either the majesty or the compassion of our Heavenly Father. In fact, we would say that such awareness is very much in keeping, particularly with sentiments stated in the Psalms and also in other books of the Bible. And I think this recognition imparts some substance to our study. Just a ah. And in doing this, we would hope that this would produce a reverential love and respect and really cause us to more fully appreciate the legal principles and concepts that are clearly associated with God's gracious plan of salvation contained in the gospel. Another point we want to stress very heavily is that God's divine attributes 
of love and mercy are abundantly evident in his plan of salvation, but also that a certain mode of belief and behavior is necessary if we one day hope to partake of God's nature. Therefore, one of the primary objectives of this class is to clearly establish that God does indeed regulate his dealings with the human family through divine law. There is great comfort in recognizing that when our Heavenly Father establishes a law, it is the expression of his divine will for the era to which it is applicable, and it is made with a complete knowledge of all of its effects and consequences. We know that believers will only pass beyond law when their mortality is swallowed up of life and they are incorporated into the new millennial heavens as kings and priests. When there will then be no, no more need for outside regulation for the betterment and control of their own nature. Again, we would ask the question, can one really discern between divine law and divine will? Salvation through God manifestation is the ultimate aim of divine law. And in connection with that statement, that salvation through God manifestation is the divine is the aim of divine law. I'm going to put an overhead up that most of y'all are probably we know that excuse me, that's not on. wrote called Fanaro. He has provided us with some wonderful and awe-inspiring thoughts and reasoning as to the ultimate purpose of God. Here are two very important and very significant quotes from Phanerosis. And I know a lot of you heard these, but I think they certainly bear repeating from time to time. And this, some of the thoughts in these quotes, it, it takes a, a bit of maturity to be able to completely understand what is being said here. Men were not ushered into being for the purpose of being saved or lost. God manifestation, not human salvation, was the great purpose of the eternal spirit. You know, that's a little bit hard to comprehend when you're very young in the truth because human nature being what it is, when we're young, we tend to think that a lot of things revolve around us. As we grow older, we find out that's really not the case. The salvation of a multitude is incidental to the manifestation but was not the end proposed. 
The eternal spirit intended to enthrone himself on the earth and in so doing to develop a divine family from among men, every one of whom shall be spirit, because born of the spirit, and that this family shall be large enough to fill the earth when perfected to the entire exclusion of flesh and blood. Here's another principle that he stated very well. The object aimed at in the whole work of God in the earth is that no flesh should glory in his sight. And there are several, well, there's a couple of references there. This revealed principle of divine action necessitates the doctrine of God manifestation in Christ, which is unpalatable to carnal minds. For unless God were the worker by and through and in Christ, the glory would be to a mere man and therefore to the flesh. But God has expressly excluded the flesh from all glorying in the case. God did the work himself, and Christ was the form of it. God in Christ, and Christ in us, is the process by which the outworking of this glorious and elevating principle is revealed. In will, in word, and in character... The Lord was the manifestation of the Father, and that divine apocalypse has now been clothed upon and preserved in a nature that is equally divine. Let us permit the Word to so mold us that there is built into our lives those divine characteristics that were revealed in the life of the Lord Jesus, and we too will attain unto the fullness of of the glory of Yahweh. To that end, we must allow God to work in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. That is the doctrine of God manifesting. I now briefly want to just let the... Uh, reference materials that we used in putting this together. And as I mentioned, I, I first gave this class, I, I figured out it was back in 1990, and I gave it at the Arkansas Bible School, and we had six classes rather than five, so I had to do a bit of, of uh, condensing. But the materials we have used, obviously, the Holy Bible... And then we have also used the Ways of Providence, a Word in Season, the Law of Moses by Brother Robert Roberts. And then Brother John Thomas, we have used Elpis Israel and Phanerosis. We also have used the Blood of the Covenant, Brother J.J. Andrew. The World's Redemption, Brother Thomas Williams. Principles and Proverbs, Brother Islip Collier. Teaching of the Master, Brother L.G. Sargent. Paul's Letter to the Romans, Brother John Carter. What is Truth by Brother John Peake. Then we also used Black's Law Dictionary. And we used Barron's Educational Series Law Dictionary. 
And then we used the business law book. It was a sixth edition Southwestern Publishing Company. I used that in college oh, eight or ten years ago, whatever it was. <laughs> and as I say there on the bottom, the foregoing list is intended to be as complete as possible. However, other works may have been consulted and not listed. Such works, if any, were not intentionally omitted in the compilation of this listing. You know, some of this I did, you know, like I say, 1990, and my memory is just not quite what it used to be. Next, we want to go over some definitions that we are using in this class. And obviously, one of the First definition there is term legal, and it means conforming to law, required or permitted by law, not forbidden or discountenanced by law, good and effectual in law. And there's a little bit more to it, but I'll let you read that at your leisure. Then the next term we're using, and this is very important, the sovereignty of God. We define that as the possession of supreme power and excellence, unlimited in extent and application, with absolute freedom to exercise these qualities as a matter of exclusive privilege or prerogative. Then we talk about the concept of sovereignty itself. This is a very important concept to keep in mind, too. The supreme, absolute, and uncontrollable power by which any independent state is governed. The power to do everything in a state without accountability. To make laws, to execute and apply them, to impose and collect taxes, levy contributions, make war or peace, etc. Perhaps some of you have heard of the doctrine of sovereign immunity. And I know the, the state of Arkansas still has this to some extent. But a state is immune from any actions where it might be at fault unless they give you the right to try to recover. And in Arkansas, if someone has a quarrel with the state, the most likely recourse is what we call the Claims Commission. But there are a few limited areas where the state can be sued, but the the uh, the sovereign immunity requires that a state allow someone to sue it. So if you hear the term sovereign immunity, that's, that's what it is. The next term we're all pretty familiar with, adoption, the act of one who takes another child into his own family, treating him or her as his own, and giving them all the rights of his own child. The next term is probation. We're all on probation in our walk in the truth. That is the status of a person being tested or on trial, a testing or trial as of a per person's character, ability, etc. The next term is condemn, to find or adjudge guilty, to adjudge or to sentence, and we'll have quite a bit more to say about that later. Next we have a legal term, offer. I know you've, you've all 
that have been involved in buying a house, generally you make an offer and then if there's an acceptance, you can create a contract. There has to be both an offer and acceptance to create a valid contract. An offer is a promise, a commitment to do or refrain from doing some specified thing in the future. The offer creates a power of acceptance permitting the offeree by accepting the officer, the offer to transform the offeror's promise into a contractual obligation. This next sentence is very important. We're going to stress this quite a bit. To constitute an offer, there must be language of promise and a sufficiently definite statement of terms so that an acceptance may be made without suggesting new terms. Next, we have what's called an illusory promise. We've all heard of an optical illusion where something is really not as it appears to be. Well, an illusory promise is kind of like that. It's, it's a promise that is so indefinite that it cannot be enforced or one by which, by virtue of provisions or conditions contained in the promise itself, is one whose fulfillment is optional or entirely discretionary on the part of the promisor. Since such a promise does not constitute a legally binding obligation, it is not sufficient as consideration for a reciprocal promise and thus cannot create a valid contract. I think a good illustration of, what, of that might be if, let's say Brother Charles Walker and I got together and I said, well, I'd like to buy ten acres from you, Brother Walker. And he said, well, I'll, I'll, he said, I'll tell you what. I'll sell you the best ten acres I've got. Would that be sufficient to base an offer upon? I mean, knowing Brother Walker, I would trust him. But if somebody you approached somebody out in the world and said, I'd like to buy ten acres from you out of your thousand acres you own, and they say, well, I'm going to sell you the best ten acres I've got. That's my offer here. Will you accept it? Would you sign that? You probably wouldn't, would you? Because you don't know which 10 acres that is. He may give you that 10 acres down there where all the creeks drain into it. It's nothing but a, a quagmire. So that, that would be something like a, an illusory promise, something that really wasn't definite enough upon which to base a true offer or contract. The next stop. Uh, Continuing definitions, we want to talk now about an acceptance. An acceptance is defined as the act of voluntarily receiving something or of a voluntary agreement to certain terms or conditions. It implies the right to reject. In contracts, Acceptance is consent to the terms of an offer which creates a binding contract. But for a contract to be legally uh, developed, there has to be a valid offer. There has to be definite terms stated in the offer. There has to be an acceptance on the part of the offeree or the one to whom the offer is being made. And then if, if both parties agree to it, then there 
will be an acceptance, and the acceptance will create a binding or a valid contract. We're going to kind of switch horses here for just a moment. We have the term alien. Obviously, that's going to be important in our discussion later in the week. That is defined as one belonging to another country or people, foreign, strange, a person who owes allegiance to a foreign government. We know that in the second chapter of Ephesians, we Gentiles, prior to our baptism, were described as being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. But once we come out of Adam and put on Christ, we become members of the commonwealth of Israel. We are no longer an alien there too. The next term is a contract, an agreement between two or more parties, preliminary step in making of which is offer by one, acceptance by another, in which minds of parties meet and concur in understanding of terms. There are a lot of things that have to be involved in creating a contract. There has to be competent parties, subject matter, legal consideration, mutuality of agreement, mutuality of obligation, and as we said earlier, an agreement must not be so vague or uncertain that the terms are not readily ascertainable. Then we move on to a covenant, an agreement to promise to do or not to do a particular thing, to enter into a formal agreement, to bind oneself in a contract, to make a stipulation, an agreement, convention, or promise of two or more parties by deed in writing, signed and delivered by whichever of the parties pledges himself to the order that something is either done or shall be done or stipulates for the truth of certain facts. Now that's a very broad definition of covenant. There are some terms included in there that we will not really address in our class, but we, we all know how vitally important a covenant is in the, our Lord's, our uh, Heavenly Father's plan of salvation. The next term is something that I, I don't want anyone to get the wrong impression, but for one to be able to enter into a covenant, they have to be competent. They have to be duly qualified. They have to answer all requirements they have to have sufficient ability or authority. They have to possess the required natural or legal qualifications. They have to be able, adequate, suitable, sufficient, capable, legally fit, possessing the mental capacity to understand the nature of acts. And the reason I bring this up, and this is something that we'll discuss later in our class, but you know, we have to be competent to enter into, into the covenant, to participate in God's plan of salvation. We have to have an understanding of what obligations we are assuming when we enter into covenant relationship. Because of that, we have to have a certain level of competence to thoroughly understand what we're about to embark upon. And that's one of the real important reasons why when someone expresses a desire to be baptized, 
they should be subjected to a very thorough baptismal examination or interview where it is made abundantly clear to them what they're about to do and that it is a, it's a, you might say, a, an eternal act on the part of the one who is doing it because once you have entered into baptism, when you have come out of Adam and you have gone into Christ, you can't switch back and forth. You may act like you're still in Adam, but legally you are in Christ. And you cannot go from being in Christ to being in Adam. And you certainly can't be in Adam and in Christ at the same time. So the, the legal concept of competent or competency is very important. And I, I'm not saying that to try to say that one has to, be, one has to have a, a superior knowledge or level of learning, but you do have to be competent to realize what you are embarking upon and what obligations have now become incumbent upon you. And you have to realize that this is a permanent action on your part. You have come out of Adam. You have come into Christ. You can't go back into Adam. You, 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 know, and you, you can't be in Adam and in Christ at the same time. And certainly, you can't be in Adam and in Christ. I mean, you're either in one or the other. You're either under the law of sin and death when you're still in Adam, or you put off the law of sin and death, come into the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus when you take on the saving name of Christ in baptism. The next term, and, and you know, barely, I didn't Something like this. It's ignoratia legus non excusat. That's a poor translation of Latin. But what it means, ignorance of the law is no excuse. The fact that the defendant did not think his act was against the law does not prevent the law from punishing for the prohibited act. And I know we've all probably been subject to this at one time or another. Just a couple of years ago, my sweet wife and I went to Cloudcroft on a Saturday night after meeting. We were going to leave the next morning and we, you know, you got to stock up for the trip, get gas and all the knickknacks the girls want. And uh, we were driving into Cloudcroft, and I was just, you know, zipping along, keeping up with traffic. And I started into Cloudcroft, and I saw a car blink its lights at me, and I, I guess I was asleep or half asleep. Well, you know, my wife looked back and said, you know, that car's got some... Anyway, the bubblegum machine was on. <laughs> she said, I think he's following us. I said, she said, I don't know why, and, and my wife is a very conservative driver. And that old boy pulled in behind us and said, hey, buddy, you were speeding back there. And I said, well, sir, I'm sorry. I thought I was keep just driving the speed limit. I didn't realize I was speeding. He said, well, there's a small tract in there where it's 35 miles an hour. And I said, well, you know, back home, we call that a speed trail. <laughs> he, he didn't seem to like that too well. And then I asked him how fast I was going, and he said something like 53. And I said, has your machine been calibrated lately? <laughs> and he said, uh, yes, it has. And I said, well, I'd like to see the certification on that machine. 
He said, well, you can go to the city hall Monday morning. And I said, sir, I hope to be back in Arkansas by Monday morning. He said, oh, by the way, I was born in Blytheville, Arkansas. And I thought, well, here's my opening. I said, yeah, they raise a lot of cotton up there, don't they? He said, sure do. He said, but I wasn't there but six months, and we moved to Chicago. And under my breath, I thought, yeah, that's why you act like you do, too. But anyway, to make a long story short, I didn't see that sign, but I, I was totally ignorant, but it didn't make a bit of difference. I, I think he hit me for like 92 bucks, so I contributed to the something down there at Cloudcroft. Anyway, that's a good practical illustration of ignorance of the law is no excuse. He said, oh, you can go talk to the judge Thursday. And I thought, yeah, buddy, you're talking about a kangaroo court. But I, I do have a bit of a disclaimer on this. I say that the foregoing list should not be considered exhaustive. They are only the definitions used for our class. And there may be other terms we allude to in our classes which we have not listed, such as civil, criminal, de jure de facto, imputation, jurisdiction, justification, last will and testament, legal standing, redemption, testate, intestate, and theocracy. So these are some of the legal terms we will be using in our class, Lord willing. You, you may notice in your handout there's a, there's a sheet that's loose in there. And I had put this handout together, the four pages, back home. And then I got to thinking and looking through my notes yesterday, I believe it was. And I thought, you know, here's something I need to put in there. So I uh, talked to Brother Bob Burns and he said, well, they've got a copier now. So I went over there and spent some time last night. Uh, copying. Well, sheets you have talks about selected propositions of the unamended statement of faith that are related to certain legal principles or concepts. And what I've done, I've listed, uh, I believe there's two, four, six, yeah, there's 12 propositions within our statement of faith where I've listed certain legal concepts that are illustrated or alluded to in those various propositions. And I've also listed some scriptural references for that. For example, we say in Proposition 1, Covenant and Law of Moses. Proposition 4, well, Proposition 3, Condemnation. Adenic Law, Law of Sin and Death. A Glorious Offer, A Covenant. That's in Proposition 7. Proposition 8, Law of the Spirit of Life in Christ Jesus. Baptism and probation. And then covenants listed a couple of times again in Proposition 21 and 23 where the uh, legal idea of a covenant is brought out. And then in uh, Proposition 24, the sovereignty of God with the scriptural reference there being Isaiah 2. And then Proposition 25, we say that that really illustrates the concepts of legal, competent, and probation. And uh, I think it's, it's very interesting 
that uh, we see in that Proposition 25, and I would like to just uh, read this. And that Proposition 25 in the Christadelphian Unamended Statement of Faith reads as follows, that at the appearing that at the appearing of Christ prior to the establishment of the kingdom, the responsible, parenthetically faithful and unfaithful, dead and living of both classes will be summoned before his judgment seat to be judged according to their works and receive in body according to what they have done, whether it is be good or bad. And we stress that in that within that proposition, we see the the idea of legal, of competent, and of probation. And really, I, I like the way it is brought out better in what is considered the original Christadelphian statement of faith. And within that statement. The term is used, servants, which I think is uh, probably more descriptive. And in, in thinking of the term servants, we clearly would think of someone who was baptized. And with that understanding, had it been retained, there would have been no need for the amendment to the unamended statement of faith that has caused so much confusion in in the brotherhood and throughout the world. But I thought this might be that handout. And then on the other side of that same sheet, we have a couple of quotes from Brother Thomas, and we'll read these, and this will conclude our class this morning. And I, again, I don't put these up here to appear to be arrogant or anything of the sort, but I think Brother Thomas made some real good points in these quotes. No one has any right to set up his own ignorance as the limit of what God hath revealed. A thing may be unknown to such a man, but it doth not therefore follow that it is either absolutely unintelligible or a secret. He may not know of it, or if explained to him, he may not have intellect enough to comprehend it, or his prejudices or sectarian bias may darken his understanding. This by no means makes the thing unintelligible or mysterious to, all, to other people. All that such people have a right to say is, we do not know anything about it. They may confess their own ignorance and resolve to look into the matter or not, but they are presumptuously overstepping the bounds of propriety. All worship which he has not instituted. And both of those quotes come from Help us, Israel. Thank you.